thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no home, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink, thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own, into our house enter thou not, through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, Lindsay. Episode 78. Woohoo! 78 straight weeks of horror. I know. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really into it. It's been zipping by. Time flies when you're trying to scare the shit out of your wife and everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Mm-hmm. That's a sweet sentiment. <laughs> you're, you're good, Dan. You're good. I'm excited for today's stories. Oh, me too. Um, super creepy. Don't drink the water tea in the store mm-hmm. at badmagicmerch.com this week. Uh, d- a super disturbing design. Um, and, I'm, and I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> Definite creep shirt. Okay. H- hardcore horror lovers only. I love it. I was like, oh, well, when I checked it before the show. I think last week we were a peeper. A more peeper-esque item. So. Nice balance, you know? Yeah, a little this, a little that. Cutesy, terrifying. <laughs> uh, not sure what our March donation will be quite yet for Bad Magic Productions. We recorded this uh, a bit in advance to yeah. ensure another on-time release, so we it's, should have that info next week. It's still February for us. For us. Yeah. For us. Yeah. Uh, how many... You said you have three stories today, I right? I do. They're, none of them are particularly large or small. They're all just kind of like medium in length, so yeah. I just thought, well, let's smash a third one in there. I like it. Three stories. Yeah. Yeah, just a little, a little shaking it up. I feel like my two today are, are pretty even in, in terms of length. Okay. Uh, the first starts in the 1940s in Denver, and it's a, it's a haunted house story with a very unique twist, and I can't say anything more without spoiling it. Okay. Uh, I, I really, I was happy to stumble across this story. The second story takes us to Dundas, Canada, a neighborhood oh. in Hamilton. Uh, multiple paranormal encounter claims coming from an old school Ooh. that sits next that sit next to the site. Excuse me, I have a little <laughs> canker sore under my tongue Ugh, that is worst. just uh, yeah messing messing my. Uh, Did you have soda? Up. No, I don't know what started this one. Mm. Uh, but the multiple paranormal encounter claims coming from an old school there that sits next to the site of a terrible tragedy that happened back in 1934. Oh, okay. And then and also some stories revolving around this uh, old janitor's pact, supposedly. It, it's interesting. Okay. So the first story. Sounds cool. Yeah, the first story is like more like, you know, one continuous narrative, basically. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is a collection of sightings. Okay. That okay. I find very interesting. Well, in my stories... We have like a very intimate encounter with a ghost. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have something that's going to scare the living daylights out of you. Okay. That's all I'll say. Like you really, it's one of your most hated things. <laughs> all right. So I'll let you. Yeah, I, I can probably guess. Marinate on. Well, you have a few. So mm. it's like, it could be doppelgangers. Could it be could mirrors. be mirrors. Right. Could be clowns. Could be clowns. So we have right. some options there. Could be a clown doppelganger looking at his own reflection. <laughs> oh my God. That would be the best. If I was a great writer, <laughs> oh I would just God. make that up on my own. If I looked into a mirror and I saw the reflection of a phantom clown standing behind me, I would probably just find the nearest cliff and throw myself off of it. What if you looked in the mirror and you saw a reflection of yourself as a creepy fucking clown? Just kill me. Okay. I don't, I don't the think insurance I, I, policies I don't, are good. I don't think I'd be any good to anyone after that. <laughs> and then my third story is, um, I don't know, it just... It just kind of stuck with me as something that felt, you know how some stories are like big and you're like, whoa, that was a lot. And then sometimes the more subtle stories Mm -hmm. just linger with you longer. It's one of those. 
Okay. Okay. I like to linger. We we talk about that on the This Looks Awesome for the, uh, uh, the well, that's one of our rating uh, little profiles. Uh-huh. Part well, of I'm rating not components. To watch, I, I'm not invited to the movies, so I don't know what happens on This Looks Awesome. But the linger effect, that's a big thing with me with horror movies. Yeah. Like, does it stick with you? Mm-hmm. And do you find yourself thinking about that later? I'm still, just because I <laughs> don't watch that much TV, I'm still working my way through uh, The Haunting on Hill House. Oh, yeah. Or, I always mess up the title. It's a haunting of, The Haunting of Hill House. Whatever, whatever. it's fine. They know whatever. what you mean. Yeah, they know what I mean. And that one, I flash on it constantly just throughout oh. the week little moments a re- good linger effect for me with that one yeah we are really bad about watching tv yeah or really good however you want to look at it right well yes very little time in front of the boob tube <laughs> um and what little time i i do have i tend to spend on horror so okay before we get into the story new socks well they're like these kind like of, right? one-eyed little like monsters wait i can never there it is look you haven't worn guys. those before have you no they're hysterical they came in a pack from a fan of course i can't That's remember awesome. i thanked them the first time but what kills me is the brand of socks is mm-hmm. like uncle weenie <laughs> oh yeah i remember you talking about that before <laughs> so bizarre i love it all right uncle weenie all right weenie pants it's uh, not much setup with this one all right i am ready okay really really like this is as far as a different type of story okay bring it on buddy October 17th, 1941, 3335 West Moncrief Place, the dead body of Philip Peters, a kindly 73-year-old retired railroad auditor, is found in the Denver bungalow where he and his wife Helen had lived for half a century, where they'd raised their now-grown children. He'd been brutally murdered. Oh. Some neighbors had been inviting Phil over for dinners and letting him take home leftovers ever since Helen had went to the hospital where she'd broken her hip five weeks before. She was standing. She was still in the hospital. Phil hadn't been handling her absence well. On the 17th, when Phil didn't show up as expected, one of these concerned neighbors walked over to check on him, make sure he was all right, and then no one came to the door when she repeatedly knocked and rang the bell. The house was also completely dark, as if he was not home, but his car was in the driveway. Concerned, she gathered a group of other neighbors. They all returned to the Peter's house. Members of this group tried to open both the front and back doors, both locked. They tried all the window screens as well, and then a girl noticed that one of the screens was a bit loose. They managed to pry the window open and help the girl climb inside. Time now for the tale of It Came From Within. She entered the dark house, and moments later, they all heard her shrill screams. Law enforcement was soon called, and when the police arrived, they discovered Phil's body in the downstairs bedroom. He was bloody, half-dressed, barefoot, and had been savagely beaten. It was clear someone had continued to beat him long after he was dead. Police described the brutal slaying as, quote, without mercy. Blood had even spattered onto the ceiling and was spread about into different rooms throughout the house. It was evident Peters had struggled during the assault and police said he'd fought back using several walking canes. It looked as if his battle to survive had gone on for quite some time. He died after being struck 37 separate times with a cast iron shaker. Holy fuck. He'd been struck more than a dozen times in the head alone. Who did this and why? Police found Peter's watch and money laying out on the dresser, which seemed to rule out robbery as a likely motive. The front door was locked with a key and further secured with a chain, Hmm. which could have only been done from inside the home, and the back door was locked as well. Based on what the neighbors said, all the window screens were sealed on tight except that one they opened to crawl into the house, but even that one was hard to get off and didn't appear to have been previously taken off for a long, long time. Very confusing. How could someone do this if no one had left? Officers searched the house thoroughly and found no one inside or even signs of a trespasser. Well, 
signs of uh, a break-in, excuse me. Obviously, there's a trespasser. Somebody did this or something. Officers did find two cast iron shakers in the kitchen, one with lots of dust collected on it, the other one newly cleaned, and they determined that the shaker was the murder weapon, a weapon picked up inside the home, not brought to the home. They found a damp towel with bloodstains on it likely used to clean the murder weapon. Someone had clearly used this weapon to kill Philip Peters, so where did they go when it was all done? He or she vanished without a trace. Interviewing friends, family, and neighbors, it seemed that the elderly man had no enemies, making revenge an unlikely motive. Fingerprints were found but yielded no leads as they were just from neighbors, Mr. Peters, or his wife. Hmm. Numerous detectives were placed on this very confusing case, a case with no suspects. Such a confusing crime scene. Who could murder a man so viciously and then just vanish, just disappear, leaving a home locked from the inside? So strange, and this story will only get much stranger. Helen Peters will remain in the hospital for months, recovering from her broken hip before returning home to the home where her husband was murdered. And during these months, the first rumors that the house is haunted start to spread. By January of 1942, a group of children who'd hurried by the bungalow in the freezing cold of a hard Denver winter had reported seeing a light on inside the supposedly empty house before she returned home from the hospital. On another occasion, a neighbor reported she'd seen a ghostly face inside a shadowy window. Other similar reports followed. Lights, movement, noises, a shadowy figure, all seen inside the supposedly very empty house at 3335 West Moncrief Place, where Philip Peters had recently been murdered. In early 1942, February or early March, once Helen recovered, she decided to return to the little house that had been her home for 50 years. And one night, shortly after returning, she heard something that startled her. Movement. Scared, she fell and refractured her thigh. Ugh. A neighbor heard her screams for help, took her to the hospital. She didn't want to stay there, though, and arranged for an at-home nurse to stay with her as a near-constant companion. And shortly after the nurse moved in, she began to hear things. Oh, shit. She'd later tell investigators who were still trying to catch Philip's killer that she was hearing noises coming from within the walls. Huh. Scratching, rattling noises. She sometimes could hear what sounded like someone breathing. Oh, God. Someone whispering. The police came over to investigate and found nothing. A few days later, the nurse called them again. This time, she reported seeing an apparition on the back stairs that, quote, chattered its teeth at her before completely disappearing into the darkness. Ooh. The police again came out to the house. Again, they find nothing. All of this is heavily documented in newspaper accounts, by the way. The nurse, too scared to stay in the home another night, resigned. <sighs> A caring neighbor now stepped in to take care of Helen, and right away, the neighbor also started to hear noises. She tried to write them off at first as nothing more than figments of her imagination. She knew why the nurse left. She'd heard stories from around the neighborhood. She obviously knew what had happened to Phil. She assumed she had just gotten herself all worked up. But then, like the nurse before her, she saw something. One night in July, after hearing yet another mysterious noise, she ran into the kitchen without turning the lights on. And she saw what she described as a ghost at the foot of the stairs. She told investigators she saw a filthy, wraith-like thing that vanished when she screamed and she didn't know where it went. The police search the house yet again, and yet again they find nothing out of the ordinary. At the, at the insistence of relatives, Helen Peters now goes to live with her son in western Colorado, and the house is empty. Almost empty. 
something is still inside. Still not having solved the murder case and with no leads to go on, the police decide to place the home under surveillance. Maybe there was something to all the noises and reports of ghosts that would lead them to Philip Peter's murderer. Two officers from the Denver Police Department are stationed on a lookout across the street from the home. And on the evening of July 30th, as the officers sit in their car with the sun getting low, the postman comes down the street making his deliveries. The officers are watching him when one of them catches a fleeting glimpse of an apparition described as a hobgoblin-type face seen momentarily in the aperture between the curtains of the bungalow. He quietly elbows the other officer who notices movement in that same window. He later says that a chill goes down his spine. He feels a sick feeling in his stomach. He feels silly for getting scared at the sight of a possible ghost. Or was it a ghost? The two policemen step out of their car after one of them calls in for a possible break-in, and they take off across the street towards the house. The strange face they'd seen at the window had vanished. They quickly knock the door in, burst inside the home, and it looks totally abandoned. The furniture is swathed in sheets. Old magazines lay on the table. Nothing seems amiss. The two officers begin to search the lower level. They soon notice what they describe as a strange and terrible animal smell. They don't know where it's coming from. They both feel on edge, really creeped out. They're not hearing or seeing anything, but they also feel like they are definitely not alone in the house. As they continue to search the first floor, two detectives show up. And when they hear a lock turning on a second floor door, they race upstairs. Detective Ray Bloxham then sees a closet door seem to shut on its own. Oh. He runs over to open it back up. When he flings the door open, he sees a pair of pale, skinny, filthy legs disappearing into the ceiling oh. through a tiny panel into the attic. He lunges, pulls the mystery man's legs until they fall to the ground, and he calls his captain. Captain James Childers would later describe the man who fell down as, quote, the strangest-looking human I had ever seen. What? He was a tall man, just under six feet, but thin as a wilted weed. His dirty hair hung low over his ears, and his skin was the ugly, unwashed gray of an overcast sky. His shoes and clothes rotted and torn. Ugh. One of the officers told Childers they guessed that the man had been living in the home since September. Fuck. Nearly a year, and no one had noticed. No one except perhaps Mr. Peters and the nurse oh. and the neighbor who would later help take care of his widowed wife. Detectives explored the attic the man had tried to crawl into. The access hole was described as being not quite three times the size of a cigar box lid. Whoa. When one of the men attempted to get himself through, he found the hole not big enough for him to enter, even though he was a slender man himself. He was able to peek his head up into the attic and found that the room was but a few sizes larger than a coffin. A single, God. small, incandescent bulb hung from a wire in the rafters, the only source of light in the attic. The small room reeked with that overpowering animal stench. Turning on the light, the officer could see a makeshift bed made out of an old ironing board. Some tattered magazines lay amongst uh, some bedding. And there were loads of spider webs hanging all over the place. So, so many spiders. The odd-looking man who'd been hiding up there, living up there for months, had lost consciousness when he'd been pulled down from his attic lair. When he came to, he was taken to police headquarters. There, the frail, starving man told his story after he was given some food. He said, everything would have been all right, and Phil Peters would have been alive today if he hadn't caught me robbing the icebox. Oh, my God. It was him or me. I thought he had gone out, but he was taking a nap. 
I hit him with the stove shaker when he tried to run for help. I don't know if he recognized me. It was nearly 30 years since he'd seen me last. What? When it was over, I ran to the attic after I washed and dried the shaker. I was sitting on the trap door when you were pounding on it from below the night you found him. He continued saying, I was in the neighborhood in September 1941 and found the house unlocked and no one home. I went in and stole some food. I was in bad shape. My lungs were giving me a lot of trouble. I was at the end of my rope. Fall was coming on and I couldn't face another winter on the road. I had to have a place to stay. I didn't know Mrs. Peters was in the hospital. I found the hole in the closet, climbed through and slept and slept. Whenever I heard him downstairs, I kept real still. Oh my God. Then I got bolder and I used to shadow him from room to room. It was sort of a game. It gave me a thrill. It was the first time in my life I'd ever had anyone at my mercy, but I didn't want to hurt him. It was miserable hot in the summer and my feet froze in the dead of winter in that attic, but it was all part of the price I was willing to pay. I can't tell you why I stuck it out. I guess it was mostly because it was a world all my own. I used to go down and look out the windows and watch the postman come by. Nobody's written to me in 25 years. Whenever I saw people on the street, I hated them and would go back to my attic. Fittingly, the strange, pale, 5'10", 59-year-old emaciated man who told police his name was Matthew Cornish but was really Theodore Coney's was sentenced to life in prison for murder on Halloween 1942. By that time, he was well known to anyone in the Denver area who read the paper as the Denver Spider-Man due to the cramped and spider-infested attic he lived in. For nine months, he spent the majority of his time in that attic, a space only 27 inches high. Holy crap! And 57 inches wide. The strange Spider-Man would die in prison in Cannon City in 1967 at the age of 84 after living over 20 years in cells much bigger than that attic. Coney's had come to Denver in the late 1800s as a sick boy with his widowed mother and actually met the Peters when he joined a mandolin and guitar club Philip belonged to. Philip, in addition to working for the railroad, was also a musician and a member of the Denver Guitar Club, where he and Helen sometimes gave guitar and mandolin lessons. Come on. And they'd given mandolin lessons to a young Theodore Coney's decades earlier. Oh my God, this is too much. They'd invited him to their home several times. Years later, when Theodore's mom died, he left Denver, became a bit of a lost soul, drifting from town to town. In April of 1941, he returned to Denver as a homeless person, sleeping in alleys and doorways, spending a dime a day on food. As the weather turned cooler in September, he remembered his old friend, Phil Peters. And he saw that Phil still lived in the house he'd lived in many, many years ago. So Coney's decided to break into the house to steal food when Philip wasn't home. And that's exactly what he did. But then, a few times after the first time, Peters was home. That, of course, led to Peters' murder and to Coney's strange decision to live in his attic lair. When Helen died, the house Theodore murdered Philip in was sold, and in the years since, 3335 West Moncrief has passed through many hands. It was last sold in 2017, sold before that in 2013, before that in 2004, and numerous times before that. Why? Because some now think that the house, once thought to be haunted by a wraith that turned out to be a living man is now haunted by the ghost of that wraith. Oh my God. During periods of vacancy before new owners have moved in over the years, a face has been spotted looking out from behind the curtains. Lights upstairs seem to turn themselves on. When the house has been occupied, some past residents have reported hearing scratching sounds, 
whispers coming from within the walls. <sighs> a shadowy figure has been spotted disappearing into the dark near the back stairs, and sometimes creaking sounds seem to emanate from that tiny, spider-filled attic. Is the ghost of the Denver Spider-Man still up there? Does he sometimes still come down to play his old game of following, shadowing those who live below? Get the fuck out of here. Yeek. I am so afraid of our creepy, tiny, <laughs> small attic crawlspace situation. Isn't that the fucking craziest story? Fuck. No way. <laughs> Check out these pictures. Oh my god. I'm like... It's a creepy-ass story. It is so creepy on so many levels. Yes. Oh, God bless. Uh, this this first picture is Theodore Coney shortly after his arrest. Yeah. This mm -hmm. dude just up in that tiny, tiny little attic. Is that a drawing? Uh, no, it's just, it's just a grainy old photo. Just kind of close it, but it's not a drawing. Uh, but yeah, up there for so, so long. And then, and then the creepiest thing, just like slink down and shadow the guy below. That is what so the fuck? ballsy. Mm-hmm. But also, like when you what? Excuse me, when you were saying about the detective and that he grabbed his legs, I was like, it it did not occur to me that it could have been a real person. Yeah. Even in that moment, I was like, how do you grab a, a ghost legs? Yeah. Right. Holy hell. <sighs> and then, so here's here's um, a picture of. I mean, it's not good as old photos, like kind of like copied from like newspapers. But, oh my god! But that's for, so tiny. Yeah, for the attic for scale, you can see the guy's head, the detective's head on yeah. the left there. You can see the light bulb. I mean, that is a tiny little attic. Well, yeah, you can see like five gallon buckets or whatever. Right. For the one side. Oh my good lord! Just laying up there stewing. Ugh. And then, and then this last one is just an artist rendition of you know Theodore in the attic, but but they've been very generous with the size because yeah 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 they're pointing at that little crawl space, little access point, mm -hmm. but it wasn't even that big. Wow, <laughs> uh, twenty seven inches high. I I can't. And, and on the ironing board, so he just he, there was only room, and he's almost six feet tall, There's so there was only like room for him just to lay down up there, and and like hours and hours a day just laying in there, and then sneaking down at night. Of course, you'd go crazy, right? Well, if, you, if you weren't crazy to start with, well, and he, there was, he was clearly a bit off because yeah. a stable person doesn't choose that, right? I mean, I under I understand as much as I possibly think i could understand like being homeless and being desperate yeah. right and denver winters are no joke but wow i couldn't live in that house like sometimes i'm just like oh whatever maybe i could but like with this story mm -mm. fuck that no way no way okay i had this thought that maybe there mm -hmm. was already some like entity or Ooh. something within the house and it got a hold of him yeah just attached to yeah. him and then it stayed after he left right like maybe it was just always there yep oh my god and that poor woman her right, husband's murder mm -hmm. and then she comes back and, and then she hears things uh, and then the nurse that comes here she hears things sees this thing but what i liked about it or thought was interesting about it is the two people the neighbor and the nurse who saw this dude didn't even and th they're seeing him and in their brains they're not putting together that it's a dude right because like, like in the dark teeth, right like what right and then just like disappearing so quickly like this guy was so emaciated but like so fast in a weird way and sneaky and then well, just the description that he was the oddest man these guys ever there's just so much weird about the story well yeah and, and I was, up in the spiders dude clean out the fucking spiders at least you creep he liked it I, probably he was one with the spiders oh my god but maybe when they saw him. 
they I mean, if I saw something, I'm not running towards it, right? I'm running mm-hmm. away. So that gave him the opportunity. Okay. To, okay. Right. Because it's not like bolt. he was actually disappearing. Right. And then you search the house. The police come over. They can't find anything. He's back and, and, up. Right. Because he's hiding again. And then you're just like, oh, I guess I didn't see that after all. <laughs> it's so disturbing. I do have one question. Yeah. What the fuck is a shaker? Oh, I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not I'm trying to remember. I Don't quote me on this, anybody listening. I think it's one of like, I, I picture when we had a fireplace as a kid, we had these three little tools, these oh, iron like tools. Oh, like a poker? Yeah, kind of like a poker, but there was like, there was three of them. It's uh-huh. one of those. I'm 99% certain. Okay. So basically it's like a little iron rod in the sense that you use it as a weapon. So like- Well, yeah, like, that's the poker. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. At least yeah, that's yeah. what, I mean, I don't know. But, and, and there was the poker, there was one that was like a little- that, uh, Then there's one like, like a little broom. shaped, and then there's yeah. the broom one. I think it's one of those. Okay, well, in my mind. I didn't want to interrupt, but I was like, yeah. a salt and pepper shaker. <laughs> I, it was definitely not a salt and pepper shaker. <laughs> no, I mean, as the story progressed, <laughs> no, yeah, I realized yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, that is not it. But I was cracking myself up <laughs> in my head. Oh, man. Excuse me. That poor family. I know. Just the whole thing is just too much. Well, then when the kids find all that out, oh, my God. Right. Ugh. 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 I just, now the creepy sounds from upstairs. Maybe there's a dude up there. We need to have somebody come check or it out. Or the ghost of a dude who used to be up there. We need to have that checked out too. I want to have a. <laughs> I'm going to have a witchy friend come over and check that out. Mm-hmm. And then if they don't feel anything, then I feel like it's time to have a new home inspection. Oh boy! Uh, don't you want to know? I, the flashlight can we can we can know. So you're going to do it? Yeah, I'll peek. I'll peek around up there. Okay. Yeah. Are you going to take a gun with you? <laughs> no. You're not afraid. You don't, no. What if there's someone fucking up there? I think I could take Theodore Coney's that fucking scrawny little dude. I mean, I guess our, I mean, he, he snuck space. up. He snuck up on an elderly man. But our our square is much yeah. bigger. So there could be a stronger adversary up yes. there. Yes. Okay, I'll have to think about that. Maybe. Okay. I, I, I just picture accidentally shooting myself <laughs> in the attic, <laughs> arming myself to 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 fight a possible attic assailant. I was imagining you having it like in just kind of like shoved in your waistband of your pants, and then it just like goes off, and you mm-hmm. lose you lose your janky toe. <laughs> oh no! Should you just get rid of it. <laughs> Uh, oh boy! You ready? Okay, to- well I know what we're doing this weekend. <laughs> you ready? Okay. You ready to head up to Canada? Yeah, take me to the Great White North. Quick in between sponsor break. First, use our codes and landing pages. Save some money, creeps and peepers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What are the things that weigh you down on a day to day basis? What kind of stress are you holding on to? Do you spend much of your day going over things in your brain over and over until they are so distracting it affects your mental health? Well, don't worry. You're not alone. We all carry different stressors, some big, some small. When we keep things bottled up, the results can be negative. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest without fear or judgment. It's a place to work through what is heavy on your mind and heart so that you can feel lighter and happier. I'm always holding on to something. It's the way my anxious brain works. I'm continually worried that I've done something wrong, that I've hurt the feelings of someone I love, and that I have let someone down. I'm stressed that I'm not being a good enough mom or wife. I panic that our life will implode at any given moment and it'll all be my fault. Thankfully, I have an amazing therapist who helps me talk through each of these scenarios. After each and every appointment, I feel lighter, happier, and more capable of showing up as my most authentic self. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash scared to death today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scared to death. Summer is just around the corner. Who's excited? I know I am. 
With the warmer, sunnier days calling your name, the last place you're going to want to be is in your kitchen, cooking and meal prepping. Make your life easier with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Factors Never Frozen, Always Fresh Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Think of all the extra time you will get outside in the summer sun when you aren't wasting hours in the kitchen. I think I speak for everyone when I say that the summer is the busiest time of the year. We are all trying to cram in as many things as possible, from concerts to vacations and everything in between. With Kyler home from college and Monroe on her break too, I want to spend as much time as possible with them. And while I truly love to cook, the summer is the one time of year that I'm the least interested in doing that for three meals a day. So I lean on Factor to help keep me healthy and in step with my diet. I'm obsessed with the honey yogurt pancakes for breakfast, the pork El Pastor for lunch, and the cilantro lime barramundi for dinner. So easy and saves me so much time. Head to factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 and use code scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code scared to death 50 at factormeals.com slash scared to death 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. There's a story behind every murder, but is there an ending? That's the question being asked by Murder True Crime Stories, a Crime House original podcast powered by Pave Studios. I'm Carter Roy. Join me every Tuesday as I tell the story of a famous solved or unsolved murder. Each episode dives into the darkest corners of true crime, unraveling chilling narratives, examining compelling clues, and most importantly, seeking the truth. What sets murder true crime stories apart is the focus on humanizing the victims and the effect their deaths had on their families, friends, and community. Will always leave with the knowledge of why their stories need to be heard. New episodes release every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Murder Colon True Crime Stories. Now we're back in story mode. Time for more ghosts. Uh, not much setup on this one either. Okay, let's do it. This is like a, just a series of like ugh, little moments. Okay. Uh, completed in 1929, the historic Gothic collegiate designed Dundas District School sits just at the bottom of the escarpment on King Street in Dundas, a former town that is now a neighborhood in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. When the impressive building first opened its doors, it was a high school. Then it became a middle school, and it has since been converted into some uh, pretty cool-looking condominiums after closing its doors for good in 2007. And since I'm talking about it here, of course, it is rumored to be full of ghosts. Sure. Time now for the tale of the School of Shadows. The ghost tales at Dundas District vary because there are so many. Most of them seem to center on either a janitor named Russell, former janitor, or an old tragic accident in a temporary morgue. The spirit of Russell... A haunting the old school allegedly started with a pact between five custodians. The agreement? Whoever passed away first was to haunt the school. What? Russell, the practical joker of the bunch, was the one who lost. And while the pact was supposed to be just a joke, Russell seems to maybe have taken it pretty seriously. There have been, according to some local Hamilton sources, what seems to be thousands of eyewitness accounts of Russell's ghost. Witnessed by many of the caretakers who partook in the pact, the caretakers who followed when the original crew left for other jobs or retired, as well as former teachers, students, other staff, etc. Some of the sightings include hallways being mysteriously mopped clean while the janitor on duty was on break, hallway lockers seen and heard rattling on their own, 
the sounds of jingling keys seeming to come from thin air, the squeaky wheels of Russell's old mop bucket, and a whistling melody echoing through the cold, lonely corridors. In an article in the Hamilton Spectator in October of 2006, Suzanne Beret interviewed two custodians at the Dundas District Public School, Veronica Lassard and Tony Vermeer, who shared their experiences. They mentioned experiencing the ominous feeling of being watched, as well as hearing voices, seeing strange shadows move about in the halls and elsewhere while working lonely shifts in the supposedly vacant building. Lassard, who worked at the school for more than six years, shared the story of how one evening she had left a bucket of water on the third floor before heading down to the first floor to have supper with the other custodians. When she returned, the entire floor had been washed and the bucket was still in the spot she had left it. Weird. She also spoke about a time when, during the March break, which I think is like the spring break, she was up on a ladder cleaning some lights when she heard the clanking of keys. She had thought it was her coworker Tony trying to scare her. They were both familiar with the legends of Russell. She called out for Tony to show himself, and then the shadowy form of a tall, lanky man jingling his keys passed by the door, offered her one of the biggest smiles she'd ever seen, a shadowy man who was not Tony or any other living person, Damn. before he then walked out of the room and disappeared. I'll never forget that sight, Veronica said, firmly believing she had just seen the ghost of Russell. One evening, both Lassard and Vermeer were leaving the otherwise vacant building when they heard the voice of an older lady calling out from upstairs. From the top of a darkened stairway, they could both hear, Help me! They knew enough not to go back and instead hot-footed it out of the building. Apparently, one of Russell's favorite tricks when he was alive on his co-workers had been to imitate the cries of a helpless woman or a child in order to get them to rush over to help, only to laugh at them for falling for his joke. Several years after Suzanne's 2006 article ran in The Spectator, a woman named Kay submitted her Russell story to haunted-hamilton.com about a time when she was walking her dog in a field across the street from the school one evening when the school should have been empty. She said she took a break to sit under her favorite tree when she experienced the intense sensation of being watched. Her dog started barking. She looked up and she could see some lights flickering on and off on a third floor window uh, or behind a third floor window. Frightened, she pulled her dog away and slowly back down the street, convinced the ghost of Russell was calling out to her and her pet. Apparently, the place Russell has been spotted the most was inside the old auditorium. His shadowy form spotted sitting in a seat in one of the back rows, watching other custodians clean the stage. In real life, he was supposedly harmless, but many of those who spotted his spirit haven't felt exactly safe. They haven't liked the way they felt at all when in the presence of the spirit belonged or believed to belong to him. Is he still being spotted by the people who live in the condos the school has been converted into? If so, no one has recently reported seeing his ghost. Maybe when the school closed down, Russell's spirit felt like he'd completed the pact. And then it moved on to some world that may lie after this one. The ghost of Russell, while the most frequently spotted, was never the scariest spirit believed to haunt the old school. The darkest, most chilling hauntings are thought to have stemmed from an unfortunate night of nearby tragedy mm. over 80 years ago. On Christmas Day, 1934, two passenger trains collided on some railroad tracks just above the school. Oh, dear. Engineer Norman Devine had pulled the CNR holiday special out of the Dundas station that day and was heading eastbound toward Toronto for the holidays. On board were 365 passengers. The train had been experiencing some minor mechanical problems, and with another train's approach on the schedule, the holiday special was stopped and diverted to a sidetrack about 190 meters east of the Dundas station, near the school. 
and then a series of human errors and failures to observe signals led to the forward brakeman, Edward Lynch, not realizing that the train had been moved to that sidetrack. Shortly after the diversion, due to engine issues, Lynch was walking back to the station to call for a new locomotive when he spotted a light in the distance, CNR number 16, the Maple Leaf Flyer, on its scheduled run from Detroit to Montreal, and Lynch panicked. He thought the Maple Leaf was going to crash into the holiday special. He didn't realize it had already been sidetracked. So Lynch rushed to the switch, unlocked it, threw it open. Believing he had just prevented a horrific crash in the nick of time, he had tragically accidentally done exactly the opposite. Oh, my God. He sent the speeding train crashing into the holiday special, smashing the rear car almost completely, destroying half of the second car, shooting the third car up onto its end, and damaging the fourth car as well. Splinters and screams shot out into the air, the terrifying soundtrack of mayhem audible to people down in Dundas. The lights on the passenger cars went out as passengers were flung forward from the impact, some of them tossed out of the trains into the winter night. Chaos ensued in the darkness as fire broke out in the demolished rear car. Passengers were trapped in various locations of the wreck. Some of them would burn to death. Others would bleed to death. Others died on impact. It took several hours for rescue workers and medical personnel to get everyone still living out of the wreckage and to tend to the injured. My God. During those hours, constant groans and screams of pain could be heard coming from the wreckage. Both sides of the tracks would be littered with the injured and the dead when the sun came up that Christmas morning. Oh. In an article published in the Hamilton Spectator on December 31st, 1993, Brian Henley wrote of the old disaster, What followed was a hellish scene. Pandemonium broke out as surviving passengers crawled from the wreck. Steam pipes burst, scalding the trapped. And the right-of-way was littered with the bodies of the dead. Eighteen people died in the crash, and many of those who died were children. Mm. And it is rumored that the old Dundas school was used as a makeshift morgue to store some of their bodies for a few days. And ever since, the sounds of laughter, sad cries for help, frightening moments of mischief thought to be related to these spirits have been witnessed or experienced. A former caretaker recalled seeing five shadowy entities while cleaning alone one night just after dark. And when he went to move his mop to move it away and call it a night, he couldn't move it. It was pinned to the ground by an unseen force. Oh, my gosh. He believed and still believes, apparently, that one of the shadowy ghosts he had just seen was actively holding it down. And he froze with fear, feeling helpless and frightened. And then he claims to have watched the five shadows file out of the room he was in one by one. Oh, my God. Former principal Peter Greenberg also claims to have witnessed the paranormal in the old school. Greenberg shared a story of when he came to work in the vacant school early one Saturday morning. And the security guard warned him that someone might be inside. The motion detector had just gone off. The building was promptly searched. Nobody was found inside. No more than half an hour later, shortly after he had started working on some paperwork, Greenberg heard some lockers banging. Believing that vandals were indeed now inside for sure, he called the police, immediately left the building. When the police arrived, Greenberg went back into the building with one of the sergeants while other officers waited outside. The thought was that the two men's entrance would frighten the kids out of the building and then awaiting officers outside would catch them. As Greenberg and the sergeant approached the third floor, they heard a crashing noise echoing through the halls. It sounded as if things were being thrown around and glass was being smashed. The noises of destruction continued until they made it to the third floor and opened the door. And then like a needle being pulled up off a record, the noise immediately stopped. Hmm. Nothing appeared out of place. Nothing seemed to be damaged. There was no sign of any mischievous kids on the premises. So what happened? 
what did Greenberg and the sergeant hear? The psychic echoes of the tragic events that occurred on that fateful Christmas morning in 1934? Another creepy encounter story comes from sometime in 2000. This is the creepiest to me. A security guard who wishes to remain anonymous described an unexplainable event that happened to him while doing a patrol during uh, late Christmas Eve of that year, a few hours away from the anniversary of that crash. Mm-hmm. He received a notification that motion detectors to the office and one of the hallways were going off in the building. Responding to the call involved doing a perimeter search, then entering at the back of the parking lot and heading past the caretaker's office to the boiler room area where the alarm could be reset. This particular time, the guard felt a little unnerved as he descended the half flight of stairs into the dark basement. Something in the air felt off. He had a bad case of the goosebumps, dreaded what he had to do. He passed the closed caretaker's door, turned the alarms off, then headed back upstairs to investigate the hallway where the alarm had been activated. Finding nothing there but still feeling spooked, he quickly wrote up a report, then headed back downstairs to rearm the system. As he passed the caretaker's office, the door shot open to the sound of a radio blaring inside. My God. He jumped, swung into the room, believing he'd found trespassers, but nobody was inside. Now, he was really spooked. Uh Uh-huh. A moment later, as he was heading back to the boiler room, he noticed a fire door hanging open directly across from the alarm room. A door that was not open when he'd passed by moments earlier. He wasn't alone. He shone his flashlight into the room which was a basement gym, and saw an incredibly disturbing sight. A red rubber kickball bouncing on its own in the corner. No. Not bouncing like someone had bounced it and then run off. Bouncing like someone was still bouncing it right now. Oh, my God. Understandably, he ran out of the building as fast as he could. Later that evening, when he bumped into another police officer at a local Tim Hortons, the officer shared similar stories he'd heard, uh-uh. including another officer seeing the phantom hand of a little girl being stretched out as if pleading for help and then completely disappearing. The ghosts of children who died in that crash, children whose bodies were once stored in the basement of the old school, converted for a few days into a temporary morgue. Do they still haunt the residents of the condos? Now built inside the school. Oh my god. That, that bouncing ball. bouncing ball, that one got me. Because that, yeah. that is like a specific, like, because it would bounce and it would <sighs> stop at your hand. You know what I mean? It's not like it would just be freely. No thanks. No fucking way. So just two pictures. Oh my god. Old one and the new one of the the lofts. The, okay. the first picture is the school. I mean, it's a very impressive yeah. old school. I love the, ar- the architecture of those old schools like that. Mm-hmm. And then here's, they did a good job, at least from the outside, you know, like uh, whoever converted into the Dun- Dundas District Lofts. Well, yeah, I mean, they're finished in 2013. Exactly, so it looks like the school. Yeah, it looks exactly the same. <laughs> You're right, right. I was it's expecting cool. some big facelift. No, I like that they like kept it looking like the old school. Well, yeah. yeah I was, and, and, and I didn't show, I should have, I probably should have included them, but I, but I looked on real estate pictures of insides, very modern oh, on the inside. That, that, that maybe would have helped with the, like, uh, yeah. oh, it looks so cool. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I was it's like, true. that's the same building. I do. Sometimes I hesitate to throw a lot of those like interior shots because then it starts to feel like a real estate presentation. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> but fortunately, you're not selling any real estate. Yeah, true. True. true, true. I should have, I should have oh them. man, that ball! <laughs> I now want to go home. We have all those like kickball kind of balls. Mm-hmm. I just want to deflate them all and throw them away. <laughs> I'm afraid that the thing mm-hmm. that lives in the attic is going to come down and get a ball. Oh boy, that was a bad combo. Well, maybe I'll give it something to do. Oh you know? sweet lord. 
After you shoot yourself in the foot, maybe it will help me take you to the hospital. The, the shadow thing will? Yeah. The shadow thing, the person that lives in the attic. Like, we got a lot going on at home. <laughs> Ooh, wow. I like I got you pretty good today. You did, in That fact. first story is just set it up where that first story is so creepy. It's so creepy because we have talked about, oh, I forget the name, but it's like when someone lives in an attic or the walls of a house or whatever. There's right. like, I forget. Oh, there's a term for it? I don't yeah, remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't. Um, Some interloper? No, that's not the word. Hmm. I, I forget, but it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a thing. That's a real thing that happens. People, you know, move into a vacant, abandoned house, a house that's for sale that no one's right. living in, whatever. And but generally, they don't murder somebody. And, well, they and they're not staying in this tiny little place, and they don't tell the police later that they fucking shadow them like a strange I know. creep. Well, that's where I was going. Yeah, is that that's what took it to the next level, and that there's something now in the walls. Hmm. I mean, it's kind of like what I hear. Hmm. 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 No bueno. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready for me I, to try and get you back? I am. Now, where's your squishalish? I'm going with Layla again. Layla? Classic. Okay, now I have to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> she smells so good. Okay. I have to tell you, while you were telling your stories, at some point, I don't know if you saw my eyes kind of darting I around. Did. I don't know if it's like something with my glasses, but like I thought I saw some sort of something. Fun. Like a, I don't know, just like a flash of something. It was very bizarre. That's why I was kind of like, what's going on? I was trying to get my glasses in different light. I could never get it to reproduce itself, but it was over your left shoulder. Hmm. So that's fun. Fun. And then I swear, I just like kept looking at Layla. So I was like, what's going on on that shelf? And it could just be the way that you move, that she was like coming in and out of my frame. But <laughs> just so you know, Layla might be the source of all of it. Oh boy, but I trust her. I like her. Well, that's where it all begins. Oh no. Oh boy. Okay. So this story... Maybe not the scariest story, but definitely made me wonder about the rules of the ghost world, right? Okay. It's like, if if they're, if we don't know the rules, then I guess there's no limitations on what they can or cannot do. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Sure. Yeah. I okay. mean, when you go into the, when you open the box of the unknown, I mean, just by definition, it's like it could be anything. Oh, so weird to think about how they could be with you <clears throat> in the shower. They could, right? Like, I mean. <laughs> right, right. There's, I doubt there's like, um, you know. Uh, protocol that way where it's right. like, hey, you guys you guys can go haunt if you want, but no shower peeping. But like maybe the ghosts are good and they're like, all right, maybe, maybe some are. Exactly. Maybe some are more respectable than others. Maybe some are, you know. Pervs. Touching your touching your butt when, when you're in there. <laughs> what? Mm, maybe. I don't think so. They might be. They might be flicking your nipples. You don't even know. How? I think I would know if someone flicked you, my nipples. You thought it was just like a the loofah. <laughs> But it was a little ghost flick. I don't flick. think so. Obviously, no one's ever flicked your nipples. It's a very distinct feeling. A uh, week, and I can show you later. <laughs> I'll get the loofah, and we'll do that on one nipple, uh-huh. and I'll give a flick like a on taste, the other. Or like a then... test. <laughs> <laughs> a taste. Well, I'll give you a taste of what it's like. Uh. Oh, boy. Here we go. Okay. Hello, queen of creeps and peepers. See how she just addressed it to me? Isn't mm, that nice? That's pretty nice, I guess. Relatively newish listener here. I found Scared to Death and Time Suck both a few months ago, and it's safe to say I'm a fan. Love what you and Dan do. You both make a tedious workday something to look forward to. Yes. I thought I would take the time to send you my story because Valentine's Day is approaching. Obviously, at this point, we're past it, but sorry. Uh, And my husband and I started reminiscing about a situation we had at the beginning of our relationship. It's not your usual ghost story, so I hope you like it. My husband, Doug, and I met 15 years ago. We were both recently divorced, and we each had two children, and we were both struggling financially. 
We clicked immediately, and it wasn't long before we decided to move in together and to get married. We decided that my kids and I would move into Doug's apartment because even though his was older than mine, it was cheaper and a little bit bigger. He had lived in this apartment for a few years already after, ironically, leaving his previous rental home that was next to a graveyard due to all of the paranormal activity that had terrorized him and his kids. This apartment was peaceful, and he had never had any paranormal interactions since he moved in. After I moved in, I quickly discovered our new relationship was going to be rockier than I had expected. Mm. Doug had an alcohol addiction that I had been entirely unaware of. When he was sober, he was my best friend and the love of my life. And sometimes he could even be a nice, funny drunk. Other times, (laughs) he was the meanest drunk I'd Uh. ever seen. He never physically harmed me, but was verbally and mentally abusive when he was in one of those states. I became very depressed. I had given up my apartment and moved my kids to a new place, and I was unhappy and didn't know what to do. I was in this state of mind when I had my first weird experience. I remember I was lying in bed. It was a weekday, and I needed to be up very early to start my shift at work. But I hadn't been up late the night before, but I had been up late the night before arguing with my drunk husband. I was so tired, but something startled me awake. I looked up towards my bedroom door, and I could see it clearly because my curtains were open and the early morning sunlight was streaming in through the window. My bedroom door was open about a foot, and there was a man I had never seen before in the doorway. He turned sideways and stepped one foot inside my room, so he was half in and half out. With his hand, he started to beckon to me, a come on, let's go sort of gesture. I wasn't afraid of him because he didn't seem threatening. Hmm. He did seem urgent, though. What did he want so urgently? It was then that I actually opened my eyes for real. They could have been closed this whole time, but as soon as I opened them, I could see that my room looked exactly as it had. Was it a dream? A vision? Sighting? I didn't know what had happened, but the sunlight was exactly the same, and my door was in the exact same open position. It was exactly how I had seen it, but there was no man. I looked at my bedside clock, and I was late. I had been so distraught the night before, I had forgotten to set my alarm. But since the man had woken me up, I still had enough time to get up and get to work. I got the impression he was trying to help me, but it must have been a dream, right? A few weeks later, another late-night argument. I ran to my bedroom sobbing. I slammed the door and threw myself on the bed, crying face down into my pillow. Mm -hmm. After the sobbing subsided, I started to calm down, and I turned over on my side where someone promptly kissed me on the cheek. I sat up straight and whirled my head towards the door, wondering how someone who was so drunk could open it and come in so quietly. I was fully, 100% expecting to see Doug in the room. I mean, I had been kissed. It was no figment of my imagination. I could feel the lips, the pressure, and the spot on my cheek felt cool after Mm -hmm. the pressure was gone. But there was no one there. The door was just as shut as it had been when I slammed it. Over the next few months, weird stuff kept happening but with a darker intent, and not directed at me. Once, Doug and I walked into the kitchen, and a can opener that was sitting on the corner counter flew off at him, and another time, a plate did the same thing. When I was alone, the activity was never violent. Once, I was home alone and decided to practice playing Guitar Hero so I could stand a chance against (laughs) my kids later. I totally get that. (laughs) When I was done playing, I turned the video game console off and turned around just in time to see the rocker recliner had been rocking behind me. Uh. I had had an audience. 
Doug and I started to try to figure out what could possibly be going on, but we were coming up blank. The activity he dealt with at his previous house had been from an old lady spirit. He had never had any interaction with a male spirit, and neither had I. We were at a loss, and there really wasn't much we could do about it. All of this happened over a summer and fall, and as fall turned into winter, Doug's health started to decline slowly. At first, he thought he was having a hard time fighting off a seasonal virus. He actually cut his alcohol consumption way back to try to recover, and that did wonders for our relationship. We were in a better place than we had been for a while, and that led to us being a bit more romantically physical. Mm -hmm. One night, we made it as far as the bathroom, where we both ducked inside and quickly locked the door and started getting busy. (laughs) He was standing up, with one hand bracing himself on the bathroom wall, and I was... On my knees, with my hands somewhere else. <laughs> bottom line, bottom line, we both knew where each of our hands were, and they were nowhere near each other's. But when we were done, Doug removed his hand from the wall and looked at it with a funny expression. So I looked at it, too, to find deep claw marks with what? little droplets of blood speckling the back of his hand. That jealous ghost had drawn blood. This was the pinnacle of the experience. Doug ended up being critically ill with an alcohol-induced heart condition. And after a month spent in the ICU and a cardiac rehab, he came home sober, penitent, and absolutely worshipped me for sticking by him. So here we are, 15 years later, still a sober husband, even more in love than we were back then, and we've never seen nor heard from my jealous ghost boyfriend again. Thanks for taking the time to read my very weird story, Brenda. Wow. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. Devil's threesome. <laughs> that is not a thing. I think it is, it is a term for just like two dudes and one girl. It is? I think so. I don't know. I've never had a threesome. <laughs> Do you have, have you ever had a threesome? Uh-uh. I mean, now would be the time to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Confess. Confess. Uh, I mean, that's, what? That's so crazy though with like, oh man, in, in that act to then later be like, whoa, we're not alone for that. That's what I'm saying. What are the rules? <laughs> None. And it, and it kissed her? Mm-hmm. It's like, I, I think that Brenda's right. I think that there was a male entity. Yeah. And I think he did like want her to get up. He wanted to protect her. He wanted to get her right. out of there. And then I think that when Doug got his shit together and was able to get help for his right. problems and, you know, become healthy again and mentally, spiritually, emotionally, yeah. all the things, the ghost was like, okay, my job uh-huh. here is done. That, that's what I'm taking okay. away from it. I mean, if, if you were going to be haunted by a ghost, uh, a sex loving ghost wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing. Like, like if I had to pick a ghost, yeah, I'd probably pick a blowjob ghost. Excuse what? you. It's not. It's a ghost. It's just sometimes. It's not like different. This is not the same as like oh, I was in a different area code. <laughs> <laughs> That's not how it works. Huh. That's cheating. You if, get you get no blowies from anybody. Not even ghost. Well, no. Oh, okay. All right, dude. I don't even know what the ghost looks like. So, so you know. Okay. All right. Well, if you get to, then I get to. Then you get blowjobs from the ghost. <laughs> I get something from the ghost. I'm not going to tell you what. You know, leave that's it there. crazy. I mean, that's just so, it's so intimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, you don't have to worry about getting caught by your kids. You got to worry about the ghost. <laughs> that is such a weird thought. So bizarre. That's a good, that was a good story. It was good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So now, now comes the story of something you hate. Okay. And this story, oh, buddy. 
Oh, buddy. I even have a creepy photo at the end to help really cement it in there. You mentioned this one a couple days ago that it was yep. good. You're like, oh, man. Oh, buddy. Get ready for a creepy <laughs> clown story. Okay. Oh, ho, ho. I love this. Hey, Lindsay and Dan. I started listening a few months ago and was hooked right away. My wife and I are certified creepers. Yes. We love horror of any kind except when it involves dolls, which you will mm. understand after you hear my story. We lived in Lee's Summit, Missouri at the beginning of this story. My mother collected porcelain clowns for years. Oh, my God. Needless to say, my I My mom has some of those. I know. You're, yeah. Needless to say, I was freaked the fuck out by these things. She had a hope chest that was placed right outside my bedroom door and was across the hallway from her room. Who did my mom like to set on top of this chest just for decoration? My mortal nemesis, <laughs> Giggles the Clown. <laughs> sounds, sounds terrible. It sounds awful. I felt violently uncomfortable around this thing. For a span of my life, from about five years old to ten years old, I would get up in the middle of the night to the sound of a plastic tap, 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 tapping on the hardwood floors of the hallway. I would climb out of bed and army crawl to the door of my bedroom to close it so I wouldn't be seen. After a while of this tapping going on every night, I talked to my big sister, Alicia, about giggles, telling her what I was hearing at night. Unfortunately, she confirmed that she had been hearing it too. This went on for years. We could hear it walking around the house at night, and we would find giggles in different places than where he was placed the day before. What? When I turned 10 and she turned 16, my sister moved in with my dad, leaving me alone with my older brother, who did not believe the stories about giggles. My mom and my stepdad, Mike, found my fear of giggles rather amusing. <laughs> this is like our family. <laughs> right, right. When we moved to the other side of Lee's Summit, I was hoping giggles would be left behind. But of course, I couldn't have been so lucky. My room was on the first floor of the house, and my mom's room was upstairs in a loft, and my brother's room was in the basement. Since my mom's room was upstairs, I figured I wouldn't have to worry about giggles anymore because I thought she would take him up there with her where he belonged. Boy, was I wrong. They set him right outside of my room on the china cabinet. I was just thrilled. However, I didn't hear the tapping anymore and thought it was over, or maybe it was because the new place had carpet instead of hardwood floors. One day when I was 12, I had stayed home sick from school. My mom worked across town at an insurance business, and my stepdad was busy helping his parents with something, leaving me home alone with giggles. I was walking out of my room and headed to the bathroom. On the way there, I had to pass by that terrible thing. I went into the bathroom, washed my hands. Oh, I went to the bathroom, washed my hands, and opened the bathroom door to find giggles sitting in front of the door waiting for me. What? I screamed like a little girl and started kicking that damn clown. I kicked his face in and began <laughs> stomping on him. I picked him up, threw him in a trash bin, and took him out to the dumpster, feeling triumphant. A few months went by, and I was relieved that no one had noticed Giggles was gone. Things began to go downhill between my mom and Mike, and we ended up moving to Manhattan, uh, Kansas. We were unpacking, and my mom got so excited while going through one of the boxes. She thought per I thought perhaps she had found something her grandma had left to her or something else sentimental. To my horror and dismay, she fucking pulled Giggles the Clown out of a box. Chills ran up and down my entire body. I told my mom that I, that I didn't want that fucking thing anywhere near me. She just laughed and teased me with it. She put it in her hope chest, in her room, and for a couple of years, I had no issues with Giggles. 
we ended up moving across town to another house in Manhattan. And as we were unpacking and setting up the new house, my mom found a new spot to put giggles right in the living room next to the TV. Oh, joy. I got to see him each and every time I wanted to watch TV. A few weeks went by and not a peep from giggles. I ended up staying home from school sick again, but this time I was 14, and I didn't think much about that doll anymore other than it just creeped me out. I walked downstairs to get water at some point in the day. I had my headphones on and was listening to my iPod. I got my drink of water and turned around to head back to my room when I tripped on something. I looked down, and there was giggles right under my foot. The color drained from my face as I let out a scream. I started stomping on this clown once again. I went through all of the motions again. I threw him away in the trash can and carried him to the dumpster. Flash forward to 2017, and my mom tags me in a Facebook post. I clicked on it, and good fucking gosh, she found giggles in a box when she moved yet again. Ugh. So sweet. And if you read this on the show, please give a shout out to my gorgeous wife, Maggie Boo. Okay. <laughs> I have two pictures of this clown. This is either, uh, well, uh, no, never mind. Never mind. I'll wait until I see it. Okay. Okay. So picture one is the Facebook post. And it's just so funny. Like she literally is like, look what, like the mom <laughs> posts it. I blocked out everyone's names. Yeah. The mom posts it and says, look what I found rolling on the floor, laughing my ass off. Like she thinks it's hysterical. Right. The, and this is totally like what your mom would do. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then That's picture. Creepy oh, one. well, picture two is just like a, a better picture of him. No, thanks. That thing is creepy. Oof. Can you just imagine like the click, clack, click, clack, click, clack of yes. its little feet on the floor? I, I, I wanted to say. Ooh. Oh, oh man. man. Oh, so we just zoomed in on him. He, oh God, his, his mouth is like too real. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. I wanted to say like uh, that mom was buying Ugh. more of him, but if he's, but that doesn't explain like how he, it would be like outside the door and uh-huh. just like waiting in different spots. It loved him. It loved Dalton. It was terrifying him. Yeah. I don't know. How, man, love him after he smashed it a couple times. Yeah. That, that, yeah, that's, I don't even know what to say. Mm-hmm. He can have some good I, nightmares. <laughs> that would mess me up so bad mm-hmm. if, uh, yes, yeah, smash some doll, whatever like that, threw yeah. it away, and then it shows up months later. And I would just think at first someone just messing with me. Of course. Th- that my mom found it in the trash and mm-hmm. like pretty funny joke, actually. Yeah. You in know, fact, that's kind of like what your mom did. Right. Yeah. Pretty, pretty genius. Um, but then if I'm home alone uh-huh. and no one else, and I'm hearing a little clickety clack and I'm seeing that thing show up in front of doors, <laughs> that, uh, that just the amount of terror you would feel. If anything in our house, anything, it could be a candle, it could be uh, a piece of artwork, it could be my computer. Like if I know for sure I set something right here mm-hmm. and then the next day it was somewhere else. And no one in the house confessed. Right. I, I, I would start to be like really immediately going. I would not think like, oh, I must have moved yeah. it. I would immediately think it's the creepy thing that lives in our attic. <laughs> if I'm if I'm picking a, a haunted object, like yeah. painting, something like that. Um, clown is probably the last thing on the list. I would like clown doll. Mm. That's what that's what's extra terrifying about this to me. It's like I would rather have, you know, if like a, a haunted Care Bearer doll. <laughs> Or haunted, we, have some, we have some Care Bears. I mean, if right. you want to give it a shot. Haunted painting. Something yeah. that's just showing up in weird places, but specifically little porcelain clown doll. Mm-hmm. Maybe enemy number one. Yeah. Eek. Man. I, oh, my God. What? Now I'm just flashing in my mind, like, you know, you're you're in the bathroom. You're, like, brushing your teeth. 
And then in the mirror, you see that little fucker just like shoot by the doorway. Oh, oh yeah. Because oh like the door is open. You just see his little shadow. Mm-hmm. <gasps> clickety clack. And you just see him like just blur that goes by. The clickety clack like killed me. Because mm-hmm. I can just, just the sound of like <laughs> little doll feet. <laughs> right. Blah. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. Are you ready for one more? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this, like, I know in general on this show, we kind of are exploring the concept of the thin veil between our world and another world. Mm. But this story kind of specifically is around that. And so I just, I, I found it to be really, really interesting. Yeah. It's, it's good. I think it'll get you because it got me. Um, but it, Be- just a different kind of angle. Before we move on, was what it Dalton you? that had the clown doll? Yeah. Dalton, you, you gotta get that. You gotta get that clown doll again. Smash it. Put it in like a burnt, like a like a barrel, and yeah. just fucking burn it to nothing. But his his mom, and, and then, and then she maybe, loves it. And then maybe to put the dust inside some kind of sealed container and throw that in a fucking lake or something. Okay, well, if you do that, at least like record it so we can watch it all go down, so that if it comes back, <laughs> we can all be witness. What if it came back after that? Oh my god! And then when it when it walked around, it left little piles of oh, ash. Oh god! Oh my god! You just gave me chills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to the thin, thin veil. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Our fan Jared writes in, Hey, Dan and Lindsay, I was remembering an episode in the past where you had discussed mirrors, excuse me, being located on outside walls. Do you remember that? Uh, On outside walls? Mm -hmm. Like... Uh, so, like, if this was a wall that went to the outside, yeah. Like, if this if this was a bedroom, like having a mirror on this oh, wall, like yeah. in the house. Gotcha, gotcha, but, gotcha. Okay. I was thinking of the outside of the house for a second. Yep. Okay. okay. With you. All right. Just want to make sure. It made me think of a related situation that my sister and brother-in-law continue to deal with. There are multiple parts to this story that are all loosely loosely related. First, let me explain my sister's friend June. She is sensitive to these things to an almost medium type level. She will often stop mid-sentence, stare off into the empty spaces, and then when she snaps too, she will usually convey a message from someone who has passed. Mm. My sister has received messages from her deceased grandmother through June on numerous occasions. At my sister's house, there is a small backyard with a detached garage that we usually hang out in. Next to the garage, essentially kitty corner from the house, is an old elm tree. My 14-year-old niece, Jess, was having... What? I don't I just saw something. Okay, sorry. My 14-year-old niece Jess was having some strange, though not uncommon, teenage angst issues. She was experiencing depression, anger, and was dealing with it in a very destructive way, up to and including self-harm. While my sister was trying to decide what to do about Jess, she was talking with June and venting. Immediately, June asked if Jess had any mirrors in her room that were located on an outside wall. My sister looked, and sure enough, Jess's mirror that is attached to her dresser was located on an exterior wall. Panicked, June instructed my sister to remove the mirror and immediately place it face down. She explained it to my sister this way. I don't know what it is, but the darkest and most dangerous spirits can use mirrors to enter your home without permission. After placing the mirror in the basement face down, Jess immediately felt as at ease as if a weight had been lifted, and from that moment on, had only experienced the normal emotions of being a teen and no longer felt extreme anger or depression, unless she was in the backyard. One evening, after returning from softball practice, Jess was dropped off by a friend. Upon entering the kitchen to greet her family, she was visibly shaken. When questioned, she replied, Mom, there's a witch in the tree. 
What? She described it as a white, featureless face attached to a black mass of a body perched on the lower branches of the tree. She didn't know why, but she subconsciously decided that which was the best word to use. It was largely dismissed as her seeing an owl, Mm. though Jess said it was about the size of a small child, not a large owl. Anytime Jess was in the backyard, she felt uneasiness and sometimes even anger or feelings of dread. My brother-in-law has a child from a previous marriage. She is in her mid-twenties. She was visiting from Omaha for the weekend and was winding down from the drive by hanging out in the garage with us. She had left to use the bathroom and upon returning, stopped dead in her tracks as she was being watched by a white-faced entity in the tree. She described the creature exactly as Jess had, and she even used the word witch. She said she could see it moving. She said it was almost like it swayed and the head tilted from side to side as if curious. She was shaken enough that she would not go into the house without a chaperone moving forward. After about a month, June was visiting to have a few drinks in the garage. Around dusk, she stepped out to have a cigarette. Upon her return, she asked, Who feeds the rabbits at the base of the tree? My brother-in-law had been feeding the rabbits since shortly after moving in and answered her that it was him. Mm -hmm. She told him, You need to stop feeding the rabbits in the tree. Their presence is feeding the spirits at the base of the tree, including the witch in your tree. Shocked, everyone started to tell her what they had been seeing and experiencing in the backyard. My sister couldn't believe it. She had never told June what Jess or her stepdaughter had seen. June explained that there was a thin spot near the base of the tree that was allowing both good and bad entities to enter into our lair. She not only saw the witch, but could feel its presence. She said it was angry and that it wanted my niece to kill herself. Jesus. She confirmed that it was likely the spirit that was affecting Jess through the mirror in her room. She promptly left and said it was too dangerous for her to be there around entities this dark, being that she is sensitive. She returned a week later to smudge the tree and the house and reminded my brother-in-law to stop feeding the rabbits. The skeptic he is, he was shocked to hear the stories corroborated and confirmed, but didn't believe the rabbits were the problem and feeds them still to this day. Yeah. What would you do? Would you stop feeding the rabbits? I don't know. I feel bad for them. They'll be fine. They'll move on. I guess so. Let them be someone else's problem. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't get this melody out of my head. When, okay, when sing you, a song. When you, <laughs> when you said, when you kept saying feed the rabbits. Yeah. My mind went to a very old Bugs Bunny Elmer Fudd cartoon. <laughs> yeah. Kill the wabbits, kill the wabbits, kill. <laughs> something about kill the wabbits. Kill the wabbits, kill the wabbits. You are insane. What goes on in your head? <laughs> so much. So much. When you die, can we donate your brain to science? Like, I really <laughs> think that there. I just, pic- I just picture a scientist throwing it in the garbage can. <laughs> like, this is fucking nonsense. No way. I imagine them being like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> he was serious. He had severe brain damage. How was he functioning? Um, <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but I don't know. I don't know if I would. Uh, I I don't know. I if I if I if I saw any of that stuff myself, I would not feed the rabbits. Okay, okay. But what if you didn't see it? But what if I saw it? And what if Momo saw it? And what if uh, a friend of ours stopped by, or your sister was like in several town? people saw it? Yeah. Well, because think about it, it was three uh, people, and they all corroborated it without yeah being prompted or being told about it. So it's like if, if Monroe came home and right. she saw it. Okay. Okay. If just you saw it, I'd keep feeding it because I don't find you to be a credible witness. Uh, but. <laughs> that is so rude. I need something. I really need something to throw on, at you. I was sitting on that. Um, <laughs> no, but if, mul- if multiple people saw it, 
How long have you been waiting to say that? Since one of the other stories. <laughs> I filed it away and I was like, when can I bring that out? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, if, if multiple people saw it, I, I guess I would stop feeding it. Like even, multiple if people... even if I didn't. If multiple people who hadn't talked to each other saw the same creepy thing, yeah. Okay. All right. I'd be very open to what, what do we need to do to get rid of this, whatever this is. Okay. Ah, that is creepy. Do you Something know that, in that tree? I always worry because we have a mirror in our bedroom that touches an exterior wall. Yeah, I guess it does. It sure does. But maybe because it's like sub sub level, <laughs> it's like safer. I just picture like our house, like we have like the, the attic completely like uh, filled in. We roll the mirrors. We have no bouncy balls in the house. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a laundry list of things. <laughs> just keeps adding every week. Yeah, well, it's not a bad mm. idea. What could we fill the attic with? Just like insulation? Blowjob ghosts. Oh my God. Do you want to do some Annabelle shout outs, sure. you ass? Sure. Uh, somebody's got blowjobs on the brain. No, my I, God. I, I really don't even. I just Apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, just to some level, always. Because <laughs> to some level, you're still a 16-year-old boy. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I get it. I get it. Okay, so I want to thank some of our, yes, Annabelles who support this show very and, much. Oh, and just also, just be, we just, oh, yes. yeah, we discussed this before the show, but just so you guys know, next week is when we're starting with the uh, more robust Annabelle mm-hmm. shoutouts. We'll be doing about 30 a show. Yeah, just to, to try, try and catch up. Catch up. Uh, and thank you for, again, for supporting the show. Rachel Stoops, Rhea Collins, Brittany Turner, uh, Sukum Malivarn, uh, Malivarn. Sorry, yeah, that's a tough, uh, Sukum Malavarn, Joseph Marr, Brandon, no last name, Brandon Pososa. That looks like, like a Czech name. Those are always tricky. Alexander Baker, Ryan Beretta, Alexandra Hiller. Woo. Hiller threw me for a second. I, I looked quickly and I'm like, oh, <laughs> Alexandra Hiller. Jesus Christ. My God. I want to change that family name. Uh, Hiller. Hiller. Okay. I, I dated a Hiller. You did? I did. Right. I did. Okay. Uh, I would like to thank the Annabelle's Amanda McGinn. Oh, another Amanda. Amanda Troyer, Elias Rodriguez, Rodriguez, Mia Ramirez Forkel, Tashira Jones, Megan Dyer, Morgan Wilbarger, Brittany with an I and no last name, Nicole Terry, and Elizabeth Tucker. Nice. When you said Tashira at first, I was like, we already thanked her. I was thinking of Rashida Jones. Okay. Not not even close. Not even close. Actress. Not even close. Um, can I do my spooby shout outs, yeah. please? Thank you. Okay, I have some spooby shout outs to Stoney from Alexis. Happy anniversary to Jacqueline from Trevor. Happy engagement to Aiden and Anthony from your dad, Anthony. He loves you. To Eric from your peeper mom, Alice, and space lizard uncle Chris. Happy belated 15th birthday. This is my favorite one this week. To Weasel from Honey Much. <laughs> happy belated birthday. Oh, happy belated birthday, Weasel. Honey Much. <laughs> Wait, like, what's that about? I don't know. There's a story there. Uh, it's probably really good. Uh, that's all for today. Thank you for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. We love them. Uh, email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thanks to Logan Keith for uh, social media posts, badmagicmerch.com, merch design. Uh, email store at badmagicproductions.com for any merch-related customer service. Uh, thank you to producer Sophie Evans for help with story curation. Thanks to Joe Paisley today for producing and directing. Thanks to Zach Cohen for custom sound bed creation. Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails. Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube if you want to watch our show. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram if you want more content. 
at Scared to Death Podcast, also for pictures related to the stories. Mm-hmm. And we have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, with over 13,000 horror-loving members. Awesome. Thanks to Liz Hernandez for moderating that group. And if you want ad-free episodes, monthly bonus content, uh, and more, please check out our Patreon. And enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were, as always, scared to death. See ya! If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death.